Amen. Open up your Bibles with me, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're starting a new series called Transformed, and uh, we're going to be um, spending the next couple weeks in Ephesians 5. So uh, a couple, uh, I think it was about a week or two, my seven-year-old came home, and she says, Dad, we're learning about black holes. Okay. She says to me, Dad, what happens if I fall into a black hole? <laughs> And I said, sweetie, you would die. Um, to which my five-year-old chimes in and says, how do you know? <laughs> well, theoretical physicists and scientists, you know, <laughs> how do you, you just do. Like, you get blown to pieces. At, you know, it's, everything that goes into a black hole dies. Well, has anybody ever been in a black hole? Well, no, well, then how do you know? And so I'm getting grilled on black holes. And uh, I've always been intrigued by black holes. So what I did is I went and I just did some awesome research. Let me be clear. I am not a theoretical physicist, I am not a scientist, um, but I'm really good at studying and at articulating on a very simple level what smarter people than I understand. So I, I wanna share with you what I've discovered about black holes. Let me be straight, my mind has been blown, okay? Like I will never be the same after studying black holes. So um, a black hole simply is a mathematically defined region of space-time <laughs> exhibiting such a strong gravitational pull that no particle or electromagnetic radiation can escape from it. In simple, let me show you this picture. Do you see that little hole? What color is it? It's black, that's why it's called a black hole, <laughs> okay? And there is so much gravitational pull um, around this that if you get too close, it is so strong that even light cannot escape it. Once even light gets near it, it gets sucked in, and it, it, you will never, yeah. So um, a couple of things I learned about black holes that I would like to share with you. Uh, as a star dies and collapses, the gravity gets stronger and stronger, and if the star is large enough, it forms a black hole. And so there, again, the reason it's black is because it's sucking all of the light, so um, technically you couldn't see it because it's devouring light. Um, in 2011, um, some scientists observed something really crazy they observed for the first time an actual star being swallowed by a black hole. Isn't that cool? So uh, I want you, as you look at this picture, I just want you to remember, okay? Do you see the blue star there, okay? You see that little like line getting sucked into it? I want you just to capture that in your brain, put that in the margin of your mind, remember that moment. And I wanna show you, it's, it's a brief little um, video um, of NASA's uh, recreation of the 2011 star that got sucked into a black hole. And so this is a sped up version of what happened. So watch this, you're just gonna see a black circle. Um, it's gonna be in the middle left. Do you see that little black circle twirling around? It's black because it's a black hole. Check this out, there's a star. Yes. Daddy, what happens when you get fall into a black hole? <laughs> you die. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So that, that, is, that is NASA's recreation of what happens um, in a black hole. Now, there's something called the event horizon, okay? So the event horizon is the point at which if you cross this threshold, there is no escaping. Like if light crosses the, the event horizon, light will be sucked into this black hole and it will never, ever, ever get out. It's stuck in there forever. Whatever happens to it, it goes in there. So um, what would happen if you cross the event horizon, right? This is what my five-year-old wants to know. Like, describe in detail what happens to a, a human body that crosses the event horizon Well, you get blown to pieces. Actually, so theoretical um, scientists have figured out like what they think happens, um, and it is called spaghettification. This is a real word, by the way, spaghettification, okay? So I want you to understand what happens, all right? So um, I'll read it to you so I can just get this. If you fell in feet first, 
the force of your feet would be millions of times stronger than the force of your head. And you would get stretched like taffy, a long, thin noodle, kilometers in length, but the size of a hair in width. It's called spaghettification, okay? Your feet go first. We have a, we have a question. No, keep your questions. You can ask Liam over here later. Um, so spaghettification is this process where your feet go in. In the milliseconds it takes, you get stretched out kilometers in length, um, the width of a piece of hair. I think that is so crazy. Again, I keep thinking, of, so I'm trying to figure out how to answer this to my daughter. You turn into spaghetti. Basically, that's what happens to you. Now, here's what I love about black holes. Number one, if you, get, if you cross the event horizon, you're stuck. Number two is black holes warp time and space, and reality is not quite what you perceive. So if you were watching somebody fall into a black hole, for the people watching, um, here's what you would see. You would see them pass the event horizon, and it would literally take forever because time is so warped that they just looks like they froze, okay? So from your perspective, it so warps the reality of time that you would just kind of see them there, and then they would fade to black, okay? Because the um, black hole would be sucking all the light out, okay? So you would just see somebody, and you would just kind of watch them fade, and it seems like it would take it forever. Now, what if you were the person falling into the black hole in the milliseconds it takes a spaghettification to take place? What might you experience? And here's what was written. As you get closer to a black hole, time slows down in massive ways. From your perspective, you would see the universe speed up, and just as you hit the event horizon, all of time would pass. Drop the mic. You guys want to go home? Like, that's enough for me. I'm like, the, like crazy. I, that's just powerful. And as we're getting into this text in, in Ephesians chapter 5, here's what I just want to, I want to remind you of. Paul is going to give this massive warning. He's going to just be, he's going to be kind of stern and hard, to be honest. And here's his warning. Do not go near the event horizon of sin. Sin is a black hole that will suck you in, and once you pass the event horizon, you will never get out. It is a black hole that sucks life and joy and your body and your soul into it. If you have any capacity to avoid the event horizon of sin in your life, stay as far away from it as possible. Um, Daddy, what happens to somebody who falls into a black hole? Well, that, spaghettification. What happens to somebody who crosses the event horizon of sin in their life? We'll call it spiritual spaghettification. You won't forget that one, right? Just imagine yourself, you're on the threshold of that thing, that thing that you have known in your gut and in your soul, God does not want you to cross. You know that thing that if you cross this line, there is no coming back. You cannot undo what is about to be done. And what is about to happen in that moment is spiritual spaghettification. And what will have to happen, the only way you will be freed from the black hole of sin is if God himself reaches down and pulls you out. That is how dark and how powerful sin is. And so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, um, here's what he knows. He knows, I, I want you, Ephesians, those churchers, to get this. You have a mission. Your mission is to make disciples. Your mission is to bring the kingdom of light into a very dark world. You have a mission. In the book of Ephesians, he's given us so far, I'll say, two big things that need to happen if you're going to be on mission. And number one is this. You have to trust in Jesus Christ. You have to. Maybe you're new with us and you don't totally understand what we're talking about. Let me just take a minute and share with you. Um, if you trust in Jesus Christ, here is the promise that God has for you. You will be given the Holy Spirit. 
you'll be given the spirit of God which will take residence in, resident in you. The only way you can overcome the power of sin is with the power of God inside of you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you will never ever be able to overcome sin. Okay? And here's how you get the Holy Spirit. Here's how you um, get your sins forgiven. You get saved or whatever word makes you feel better. You trust in Jesus. Many people will say, I'm a good person. I'll go to heaven. God likes me. I have the spirit of God because I'm generally good and I'm alive. That is not how you get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given when and only when somebody trusts in Jesus. And you might say, but I'm a pretty good person. Does that add to the equation? And the Bible would look at you and say, no, actually it makes it worse. Because according to the Bible, good people go to hell. Broken people who ask Jesus for forgiveness, they're the ones who actually get to go to heaven. And so I want to look at you and just say on the front end, this is what the Apostle Paul wants his readers to know. If you're going to be effective out there, you need to trust in Jesus Christ. You need to have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that, you will have no power. You'll be simply sucked into the vortex, the black hole of sin for the rest of your life. Number two, what Paul wants is for you, everybody who is a believer in Jesus in this church or whatever church you're part of, to be unified. He is creating a transnational, transethnic, transgeographical, translinguistic people of God whom should never get along. And he says, I want you all to get together, people from different backgrounds and personalities and convictions, and I want you to come together under the banner of Jesus, and I want you to love each other and bear with each other, and I want you to show a love that the world has never seen. And when people look at this, here's what they're going to say, that can only be from God. And, here, and what Paul wants you to understand is if you're going to be effective out there, you have to be unified in here. You have to be. And then finally, number three, and this is what I want to talk about today, is not only do you have to trust in Jesus, but you be unified. He wants you to know this. If you're going to be effective out there, if you're going to be unified in here, you have to seek to eradicate or kill sin in your heart. You have to. And I want to just ask you a question. Are you committed to killing known sin in your life. If you find sin, are you as committed to that as you are killing lice when they are on your head? Preach, preaching. <laughs> are you committed to killing, well, let's be, let's be polite, trapping and then releasing animals you find in your home <laughs> or killing them, <laughs> right? As you are sin in your life. Seriously. So what happens, you're going to watch as this text unfolds, there is a natural callousness and numbness that happens to the human heart that if you do not pay very careful attention will cause you to not pay attention to things that though they look small will make your life terribly difficult in the very near, near future. Uh, James 127 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what does the world naturally do to the person who crosses its event horizon? It stains you. It leaves you stained. You need some spiritual bleach, if you will. But you get stained by it. You get affected by it. It affects who you are. You cannot pass the event horizon of sin and come out unstained or unaffected. So if you open up your notes, number one in your notes um, is how people are undone. I, I want to write on this, how people are spaghettified. And I'll just say very simply, people are undone. They're spaghettified when they're not paying attention. That's what it is. 
Break all of this down. You're spaghettified spiritually when you're not paying attention. If you're not intentional, as intentional, about getting rid of sin, known sin in your life as you are about lice on your head or rodents in your house, it eventually will create and wreak havoc to the point where it will make your life very hard. Can I get an amen from anybody with mice or lice? You're not going to say it because you'll never admit it. So, number one, an unguarded mind. Paul says, now I say this, and I testify in the Lord. What I'm about to tell you, it's thick, it's real, it's true, listen up. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Gentiles very simply means this. You're not Jewish ethnically. So the majority of you are Gentiles. But then the word takes on a new, thicker meaning in Scripture. A Gentile begins to represent those who are not Christians, those who are not walking like Jesus. And so he says, um, you can't be like the Gentiles, those who are non-Christians and acting like non-Christians, who have passed the event horizon, they've been sucked into the black hole of sin, and they're literally just living their lives however they want to without regard for God. You can't do it, you can't do it, and we're going to see what happens as they do this. He says they're walking in the futility of their minds. Futility literally means useless or worthless. Now, this is hard. He's got some hard things to say to people who have not trusted in Jesus, the Gentiles, if you will, the people who are spiritual Gentiles. And if you are not a Christian, you're going to read this, and you're probably going to be offended, and I understand why. I want to challenge you. Rather than be offended, maybe you could ask this question. Is the Apostle Paul onto something? And have I been unknowingly sucked into the black hole of sin, and it has left me with the inability to perceive reality correctly? Uh, maybe that is the case. I can't convince you, but I want to try to. This is the futility of their minds, the uselessness, the worthlessness of their minds. How many of you would love to stand before God and have him say, your mind is useless? Your mind is worthless. Now, here's the deal. Does that mean you are worthless? No, it means your mind is worthless. Here's what that means. It is useless and worthless to do things for the kingdom of God. It is useless and worthless as it pertains to understanding, discerning, counseling, things that have to do with the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, um, the, the, the mind that is not, we'll say, transformed by the Holy Spirit is functionally unable to move the kingdom of heaven forward. And I don't want that. I want to be a part of something eternal. I don't want God to look at my brain and say, your brain is filled with so much trash, I can't even use it. Like that to me is, that's a sad, sad statement. Somebody, they may say, Paul, who cares? Who cares if I do these things in private because it doesn't hurt anybody else? Well, because Paul cares about you. Because although your sin may not directly and immediately affect the people in your life, it affects your soul. And Paul loves you, and I love you, and God loves you enough to say, even if it just affects you, even if you're not aware of the effect it's going to have on you, I want to encourage you in this way. He goes on, and he's not exactly nice to the mind, we'll say, of the non-Christian. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And so their brains and their understandings and the way they process life, it's darkened. He even calls it ignorant. Let me just say it this way, and I'm not going to go deep into this because I will preach about a four-hour sermon on this if, I, if, if you let me go. For millennia, 
the most basic things have been true for children. What is marriage? What is a family? What is a man? And what is a woman? And in the last 20 years, we'll say the last two years, what was always logical, rational, and common sense is now narrow-minded and bigoted. So all of human history has been wrong up until the last couple years. All of human history has missed the most logical, simple, observable realities of this world relationally and familially speaking. Now, what used to be foolishness in terms of our culture is now wisdom. And now, what used to be wisdom is now foolishness, closed-minded, closed, whatever, bigoted. How is that possible? Because what happens culturally is when an entire culture is swept and they pass over the event horizon of sin, the entire thing is swept into it and it's devoured and swallowed up by the black hole of sin. They are darkened in their understanding. And this is the part that I want to just stop for a moment. They're alienated from the life of God. This is very active. There is a life that God wants for you and for me. There's a life that God desires for you. And there's something about sin. When you walk as the Gentiles walk, there's something about this lifestyle that what it does is it darkens you and then it actively alienates you from the life of God. So that if you're going to choose to cross over the event horizon, if you're going to live as a Gentile lives, here's the natural repercussions that are going to happen in your life. Your mind will become useless and worthless for the kingdom of God. Your understanding of reality and truth will become darkened. And before God, not before the philosophers of this world, but before God, you will become ignorant. And then here's what happens. As you stand in ignorance, you become alienated from the life that God has for you. And somebody says, what's the big deal? It's just this, it's just that. It doesn't hurt anybody else but me. And the Apostle Paul is like, you're enough. We don't want you to be sucked into the black hole of sin. We want you to be protected from this. We don't want to have to call on God to say, would you save me because I'm so deep into this vortex and this gravitational pull. Let's avoid it in the first place. How's that? It says they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Every generation that crosses the event horizon will inevitably be torn up and swallowed. The book of Judges um, has some interesting one-liners, and I want to share them with you. In Judges 17.5, it says this, And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and, a household, and household gods, and he ordained one of his sons who became his priest. Basically, there's this dude, and he makes up a religion, he makes up gods, and then he takes his son and says, Oh, you're a priest. Sound good? Anybody want to do that? Sounds stupid, right? He thinks this is logical because his mind has been darkened. And then here's what the text says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Three, four chapters later, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Jeremiah 8, 12. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. This is crazy. So like sometimes I will find um, some music and I will pop music or um, some rap music and I will take it, I will isolate the lyrics and I'll just read them to people because it's so epically atrociously funny that anybody would ever think they're logical. But then when you think about it, it goes from hilarious to pathetically sad. So you listen to half of the things that are being written in pop music today and you just put out the words there is no shame whatsoever talking about violence or rape or whatever it is. No shame. Just out there for you to listen to. 
And I want to say, like, okay, happy Mother's Day. Like, where's your mom, right? Do you play your music for your mom? But the point is this. There's no blushing because they don't even know how to. Why? Because their mind has been darkened. They gave themselves. They passed over the event horizon of sin. They were sucked into the black hole. Their mind became darkened. Their hearts became callous. They don't even know how to blush anymore. Because that's what it does for you. And it doesn't happen in a moment. you got to be clear. For some people, it's big enough that it does. But for most people, it's the slow, steady, unguarded walk into sin where you're just not paying attention. The Apostle Paul wants to warn you from that. Number two, it's an unproductive heart. He says you're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Go on to the next verse. Due to their hardness of what? Heart. So I want you to catch this. What's happening, what's happening in their brain is the overflow of what's happening in their what? In their heart. The heart is the filter through which every thought must pass. Everything that goes into your senses passes through your heart and forms your mind. The heart is the filter through which everything passes and what you take in forms and transforms your heart for better or for worse. And then everything you think and everything you do is the overflow of your heart. If you have thoughts, if you have habits and tendencies um, with your lifestyle, where are they emerging from? Your head, your heart, or your hands? Say it with me. Your heart. Your heart is the core of all of the issues. So he's saying, look, you're alienated from the life of God. And at the end of the day, all of your darkness, your futile thinking, your ignorance, all of that is stemming from a hard heart. That's what the issue is. And so here's just a thought for you. You are um, rejecting Jesus Christ. And you have a hundred intellectual reasons why you can never trust in Jesus. Well, Friends, if you're trying to talk to that person, let me be clear. You need to be smart. You need to be able to learn how to answer their questions. They ask you a question. You don't know the answer. You stop and say, let me think about it. Let me answer that question. Great. You could give the best answers to the hardest of heart that might satisfy their mind, but if they don't have a heart change, the answers mean nothing. And yet what you need is something that is more powerful than a scientific, theoretical, or logical answer. You need something that is powerful enough to intrude the human heart and to change that. And I, I want to tell you what that is because if you miss this, you're going to miss the source of your power to see people saved. God has ordained that in this world, one message has the physical power that when it is spoken to produce spiritual reality, and that one message in the Bible is called the gospel or the good news, it is the way someone is saved. When a Christian proclaims the gospel, this foolish message, God has infuse this message with power that at the right time when the non-Christian mind and heart hears it, they will be saved. They will never be saved without an understanding of this gospel message. And you might say, okay, what's the gospel message? And we've said it in a billion different ways in a billion different times in all of our services. You are a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. God is holy and perfect and there is a chasm between you. And God gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins in your place, raised him from the dead, validating that the payment was made. Will you trust in Jesus? For whatever reason, that message is the only message that has inherent, intrinsic, infused power from God that when understood in the heart will transform the heart. And if the heart is transformed, what inevitably will become transformed? Your mind, your walk, the way you live, the way you think, the way you feel, what you do. And so we're after heart transformation. Hear me, I want to answer intellectual roadblocks to becoming a Christian. 
But if I stop there, if I believe that an intellectual answer is going to solve the deepest problem of a human being, their heart, I've missed the boat. The intellectual answers have to be followed up with the power of the gospel of God. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God to save. It's amazing. So arm yourselves with that. But an unprotected heart is one of the reasons why people are held back from the life of, of God. Number three, an undisciplined will. Watch what happens. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So yesterday, my kids are in the car, and um, they said, Daddy, what's a callus? Why? We were with another friend, and she ripped off a huge callus at the bottom of her foot. Anyone ever had a callus ripped off? What's the experience? Ouch, Ouch. <laughs> right? And it blew their mind, because they just saw a lot of blood. And, uh, and so they're like, what is a callus? And I'm like, well, repeated friction on skin. Skin gets thicker, so you don't feel as much, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, huh? And then my five-year-old is like, I have calluses on my hand. And then my three-year-old, this is what he says. He goes, I have calluses on every part of my body and on the inside. <laughs> and I'm like, do you? Cool, man. And he just wanted to have more calluses than everybody else. He had no idea what it was. <sighs> I love little boys. But this, this is interesting. The heart is hard, and what happens is they become callous. They become numb to the emotion. Their conscience is smothered. Even if the conscience was screaming, they couldn't hear it. And this is crazy. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And the point of this is that sin is like a black hole. You cross the event horizon, and you get sucked in. And the Apostle Paul is like, look, you might think you're better than this. You may not even like the way the preacher says it. You may not even like the way I wrote it. It doesn't matter. Sin is an objectively vile, destructive black hole that if you start to mess around with it, sucks you in, and the only way to be released from its power is by God's personal intervention in your life. And some of you know exactly what this is because you have been sucked deep and dark into this black hole, it has consumed your life and you've lost, some of you, decades of your life. Some of you, you're believers. You had the Holy Spirit. You so quenched it. You walked paths that you justified somehow in your dark and futile mind in that moment and you have never been able to recover from what you did. Many of you in this room, I mean, I hear it all the time. You think because you're a Christian, you are not capable of quenching the Holy Spirit and doing something big and stupid. The event horizon, once it's passed, and you know it when you're walking over it. There is a cognizant mental moment where you say, I probably know this is going to go much worse for me in the long run than I think, but doggone it, I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And though, as a Christian, you would never say it like that. That is what happens. When you're at the event horizon, when you have traveled that far, a series of decisions have already been made before that to bring you to that point. God help you if you're on the event horizon because if you've already there, you're already callous enough to get to that point. And the closer you get, the stronger the pull. And so again, I'm not trying to be like, oh, all hard, but the Apostle Paul wants you to know this. If you want to be effective out there and you want to be unified in here, when you find known sin, you have to kill it like lice. Anyone ever have lice? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Number two, how people are put back together. You're all itching right now, aren't you? Oh, I didn't tell you I have lice right now? Just kidding, I don't. Like literally, everybody's like... Something powerfully subconscious about just the word. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth 
is in Jesus. Do you ever find somebody and you're like, for real, for real, bro, this is what you're going to do? You know better. Like, you know better. Any of you ever want to, like, hit your best friend in the face because they're about to do something stupid? I'll say it, right? You're like, please, please. And you're like, who are you to judge me? Or you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But here's what I know. The Bible says that you'll be devoured by this black hole. So grow up and walk away from it now. Now. I don't know how to get out of it. Then let me help you. Let me throw my arms around you, and I will drag you away from the event horizon because this thing will devour you, and it will kill you, right? But I love his benefit of the doubt. He's like, assuming that you've heard of maybe, okay, maybe you're like walking and living like a Gentile swallowed up in the black hole of sin because you don't know any better. And I want to be really clear with you. So I want to tell you a story that happened to me recently. I was with a couple, and I was asking this couple. This couple goes to church, not village church, different church. This couple goes to church regularly. And uh, I look at this couple, and I said to them, if your son or your daughter came up to you and they said, Daddy, Mommy, how do I know that my sins are forgiven? What will you say to them? Keep in mind, this is a church-going couple, okay? They're involved in their church. They're in a small group at their church, right? The dad says, I'm going to tell them, be good. You got to be good. You just got to, you got to be moral. You got to do good. You got to be good. That was this whole thing. Good, 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 good. If you're good, man, the chances are high. You're going to go to heaven. Uh, by the way, they go to an evangelical church. So like, we're, this is not like, look at the mom. The mom says, totally agree. I want them just to be moral and good, you know, and, and good, 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 good. I heard the word good come out so many times. So I stopped, and I took about 20 minutes, and I just walked through how people get saved. Very simple, and uh, you're saying, if it's simple, why did it take 20 minutes? Because I'd say it one way, and a light would go off, and then I would say it another way, and I just kept saying the same thing over and over and over again for 20 minutes. We get to the end, and I look at the dad, and I say, what do you think? And he goes, I've never heard that before. And I'm like, ever? He goes, that feels so true. And I'm like, now, he, I, want you, I want to be clear. He heard it. He's been in the presence of the clear gospel message taught, okay? The mom says, can I be honest with you? No, lie, please. <laughs> can I be honest with you? I'm sitting in church recently, and it's like I'm having this thought, maybe there's nothing I can do Maybe, maybe it's not by works. She said, I've been afraid to say it, but when I heard you say it, I was like, that is what I really believe. Like, that is true. Like, my soul, like, says yes to that. And in this moment, I looked at this woman, and I'm like, you believe. Like, you get it. All the lights were going on, and this guy was just like, he's like literally relearning and reprocessing in his brain everything he had never known. And I love how the Apostle Paul puts this in here. He's like, some of you, you may not have known. You may have heard a thousand times, but let's just give the benefit of the doubt. There are a ton of people who walk through the doors, and they have been in church their whole lives and have never, ever processed or understood how simple the gospel is. You are saved, not by being good, but by trusting in Jesus. You will never add to it. Good people go to hell. Broken people who trust in Jesus get forgiveness of sins. It's mind-blowing. And you know what? I'll be honest. How many of you are really grateful that God, if you've trusted in Jesus, has forgiven all of your sins? Amen? Right? How many of you are really grateful that you don't have to stand before the judgment um, having to pay the full penalty of your sin? I mean, here's the rule of the universe. Someone's going to pay for your sin. You were Jesus. Please let it be Jesus. How does that happen? Trust in Jesus. And so we get to Ephesians 4 here and, and how people are put back together. Number one, here's what he says. Put off. Now, our, our mission statement, very simple. Uh, we make disciples who go, grow, and 
overcome. So actually, this is great. Some of you are going to think I'm responding to something you told me this week or this month or last month. A handful of you have come up to me and said to me, um, hey, um, I totally get go, totally get grow. Um, I love this. Somebody said this to me. It's genius. When I double click on overcome, nothing comes up. Like, what does that mean? Like, I want to know what it means. I feel like I know what it means. But like, like what do you mean by that, right? And so I want to double click for a moment. I thought that was just great. Uh, I want to double click and overcome for a moment to help you get this, OK? Um, growing, when we talk about growing, growing is about what you are doing, what you are obeying. It is, for example, I'm going to start studying the word of God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be a part of a church. I'm going to use my spiritual gifts. I'm going to encourage people. It's what you do. It's the set of things where we grow. We intentionally put things into our life that propel growth. So for example, um, if I want to grow physically, am I going to do that through starvation? No, I'm going to do it by doing things. I'm going to bring certain kinds of food in my mouth and do certain kinds of weights. Growth um, talks about the things that, because of the grace of God, we're going to start doing. If growth is what you commit to start doing, overcoming is what you stop doing. Okay? I'm going to overcome all of these things inside of me that are not good for me. I'm going to stop manipulating. I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to stop deceiving. I'm going to stop um, um, whatever the word is. Overcoming is about looking at something that wants to consume you, that wants to control you, and you say, no, I will not give you power anymore. I will shut you out of my life. I will say yes to the growing, and I will overcome whatever challenge you're putting in front of me. Overcoming is one of the most difficult things. The major reason people don't grow or overcome is because they'll commit to growth, but then they tolerate their lice, right? You can clean your whole house, but if you're not getting rid of lice at the source, what's going to happen? They're just going to keep going. And you're like, well, I'm cleaning my house. Why can't I get rid of the lice? Well, because at the same time you grow, you have to overcome. You have to get rid of and you have to clean. Do you get the point, right? And so some people are like, well, I'm trying to overcome. I'm trying to overcome, but the problem is you're not growing. And so there's this tension in the spiritual life that if you want to overcome, it's complemented with growing. And if you want to grow, it has to be complemented with overcoming. If you're trying to continue to do positive things that Jesus says to do, but you're tolerating sin on this side of your life, it's going to counteract each other, and you're going to be left discouraged and frustrated. That's one of the challenges. So we don't want to just make disciples who go and grow if these things are going to happen, you have to be committed to walking away from your Gentile lifestyle, if you will, and committing your life to getting rid of sin and to obeying Jesus. The two hold each other in tension. Here's what he says. He says, put off your old self. Put it off. Take it off. Get rid of it. I think he might say, light it on fire, throw it in the trash, stop it, get rid of all opportunities. And he says, it belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt, catch this, through deceitful desires. That what you're doing, how you're walking, how you're living, what is it the overflow of? Your desires, your heart. Now, I'd like to give you a living illustration of this. Jonathan Thomas, worship leader. This is Jonathan Thomas, pre-2008 maybe. Um, I want you to notice, you may not be able to see this, double popped collar. For real. Let me tell you the story. Jonathan uh, was dating Bethany. I was, a, I was her youth pastor at the time. And, and uh, um, so, no, she actually she was in college. She came back and visited. And Jonathan came in with his band, okay? I want to tell you how Jonathan walked into the 601 back here. Uh, Flying V, Jonathan at the head, walks in, double-popped collar like this. <laughs> like V, V of minions behind him. Like, I'm the man. I am unstoppable. I am the second best thing in the world next to my other double pop collar. You know, like, when I see this, this is the old man. Jonathan and I, after we met, we went out to Chili's, and we got in a fight. 
True story. Like, like he yelled at me, for real. Like, I was like, wow, like, wow, this guy is a winner. Beth, what are you doing with this guy? And uh, so I was like praying. I'm like, okay, God, you got to end this relationship. And, uh, and so there's Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan trusted in Christ, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jonathan actually had been in church his whole life. But something happened in Jonathan's life over the next couple years that God wrecked him and transformed him. And it's interesting because I look at this picture, and uh, this picture just came up again. I, I was texting him, and this picture was in the thread. And uh, I, I thought to myself, interesting, I don't know that guy. Like, I mean, I know him because it's John, you know, Jay Tizzle. That's what we call him. It's John. It's Jay Tizzle. But, like, I don't know that guy. It's still, he has Jonathan's intensity. He has Jonathan's passion and his, his just go get himness at life, right? Um, there are personality tendencies that are there. But, like, by and large, I think if I met that John and I met this John, this John and I have very little in common. Uh, the new John and I shared values, same vision. I want to tell you what happened to John. John got sucked into the black hole of sin. God intervened and pulled him out. John, through the help of the village church and friends and family, immersed himself into God's word. John had his heart transformed because God had to come in and pluck him out of darkness where he almost lost everything, okay? And then he had to literally make some huge decisions in his life that he would get all the garbage out of his brain and immerse his world with the word of God because the sin inside of him was so thick that he had to overcompensate and overdo it, and so he immerses himself in the word of God. This John was undisciplined. This John did whatever was right in his own eyes. The new John knows the tendencies inside of him. He is not perfect. He is aware of them and says, body, I will tell you what to do. Brain, I will tell you what to think, and I will be informed by the word of God. Powerful. But this, this new John, he has the capacity to start acting like this John. And in that moment, I would say, stop walking and acting and living like the old John. That's not who you are anymore. You are new. You are better than this. You are a man of God. It's like somebody who's released from prison still wearing the prison garb. You're not in jail anymore. It is not your identity. It's like Pastor Tim wearing a onesie and a diaper. Stop it. <laughs> He's never done that as far as I know, have you? No, okay, we're good. It's like Pastor Tom. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Throw him under the bus. Number two, it was my, I just had to tease him. Next time you preach, I'm sure you'll throw me under the bus. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You need to be renewed, put in. It's what you put into your brain. So you're, when you imagine your whole life, you've most likely, for the majority of your life, have been filling your brain with garbage, which means your heart is a garbage dump filled with junk. And out of your heart flows what? your actions, your words, etc. And he's like, look, your brain needs to be renewed. And this is a slow, tedious process to undo 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of garbage piling up. But let me tell you, by God's power and by God's grace, you can undo what's the damage that sin has done. You can be redeemed and God can make this new. I like to say it like this. <clears throat> For every hour of crap that goes into my brain, God's word is so powerful, like five minutes of God's word overcomes and starts to make right all the junk. Like that's how inherently powerful it is. And so when you start bringing God's word into your brain and focusing it and disciplining your life down that line, the payoff is huge. Disciplined people have growing spiritual lives. Haphazard Christians do not. I want you to hear me. If you want spiritual growth, it requires discipline. It always will, it always has. That's the rule of the, of, the, of the spiritual universe. 
And so if you want to be spiritually strong, you must be spiritually disciplined, which means when you find sin, you kill it. And when you find something that Jesus wants you to do, you run headfirst into it and you obey. Finally, number three, put on, he says this, and put on the new self. I love this, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That this is the life of God. This is the image of Christ. God is flawless and perfect, and he desires, as long as you're alive, to be ridding sin from your life. He wants you to be pure and holy. So here's the question. Already, I would say the majority of you in this room right now, I I would just be done because you know exactly what sin you need to overcome. You know exactly what it is. You know that that thing you need to overcome is the reason why all your growing behavior isn't actually working because they're fighting against each other. You know exactly what it is, and I just want to beg you, do not cross the event horizon. And if you're already there, then let the people of God come around you and let's get on our knees and beg God to pull you out and let's help you get over this. Because God wants more for you. He wants the life that he has set out for you because if you're going to be effective out there, you need to be unified in here. And if you're going to be unified in here, you need to grow in holiness in your heart. I want to close with two things. Number one, I want to share with you, I think, probably the most valuable part of the sermon that I could share with you. Saved it to the end to keep you paying attention. And then I want to tell you a story. How do people change? I've heard so much junk, so many terrible answers to this question. I want to just break through all the junk. I want to tell you in the most basic biblical way how people change. People change fundamentally when their heart changes. And your heart is the core of who you are, if you will. Out of your heart comes your thoughts, your words, and your actions. So if you want your thoughts, your words, and your actions to change, what needs to change? Your heart. There are three ways the heart changes. Number one, the heart changes by putting new things into your brain. Okay? And so some of you think that putting new things into your brain is sort of like dumping like gallons of water over it and it just washes over your heart. What I like to say is your brain is filled with so much trash that you could put 100 gallons of goodness into your brain and only a droplet's going to get through. Okay? And so like, you, you pour in all this good stuff, right? Because there's all this junk coming in also. And uh, what starts to happen is that as you actually intake, whether it's God's word or sermons or podcasts or positive things or encouragement from people or whatever it is, that that slowly, when you hear the word slowly, begins to transform your heart. Again, the challenge is the reason many of us don't see heart transformation because as you intake, you're not overcoming, right? And so there's some things that you need to stop doing because everything you're intaking, you're counteracting that with the negatives, So the second way people change is you actually do change your behavior, that what you do affects your heart. Your heart, yes, controls what you do, but if you want to change your heart, you discipline your body and your decisions, and as you change what you do, it informs your heart. So the heart is informed and changed um, when you put things into your brain and you discipline your behavior and you change your behavior. It changes, but it changes slowly. I want you to hear that. The third way that hearts change, and this is like my favorite way, is that God just says enough is enough, and God just comes in and does it. Okay? And this is why when you are knee-deep in sin, it often takes years because you're doing what you can here, you're doing what you can here, you're changing what you're intaking, you're changing what you're doing, but now all you can do is rely on God to come in and change you at a quicker pace. Because these things will change your heart slowly over time, don't get me wrong. And then sometimes God just walks in and says, enough is enough. Sometimes I'll go to God and I'll say, can you please take this out of my heart? He's like, sure, done. And then it's gone and I never have to think about it again. That's crazy. Sometimes I will pray a thousand times over years and years and years and years. He'll say, not yet, not yet. And the change is slow. And then one day he's like, enough is enough. But that's how people change. You change 
Fundamentally, by having uh, right thinking and things put into your brain, you change your behavior, but that's slow. And then God comes in and he changes your heart. One of three ways. I always beg him. I'm like, God, I'm going to do the best I can with my mind. I'm going to do the best I can with discipline. Now, will you come into my heart and do and fill in the gap? And I want to give you all credit and glory because, honestly, my heart is hard. My heart is callous. My heart is darkened. My heart is frustrated. Will you bring light and hope into my heart? C.S. Lewis, um, in the book, um, The Great Divorce, is a story he writes. There's a young man with a lizard on his shoulder who consistently is mocking the young man. The lizard's sitting there and just mocking him. Well, an angel comes, and he offers to remove the lizard. And of course, you would think that the young man says yes. Well, the man says, finally, I can be rid of this thing that so torments me. But then the man realizes the angel glows with a deadly heat, and to get rid of it means to kill it. So then the young man suggests that maybe killing it isn't necessary for the lizard to die. Perhaps another time would be better to deal with this. Well, the lizard wises up. It says, upon realization that his life is going to be threatened, the lizard begins to strive for his life from a new angle. He tries to unsettle the young man with doubt and suggestions, and here's what he says. The lizard says to the young man, he can do what he says, the angel. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you will be without me forever and ever. That's not natural. How could you live? You'll only be sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. As I'm, as I'm preaching, I want you to catch this. Sin is hardwired for self-preservation. It will do everything it can to make you fold your arms at me. You will try to find anything that I've said in this sermon. You don't like the way I said it, the tone that I said it. You will do anything you can to not have to deal with the simple, clear word of God that you must kill sin and not walk as the Gentiles do. Sin is wired for self-preservation. And so you're going to leave here and sin is going to bring up lies because it wants to live. Nothing, it doesn't want to die. And yet God's agenda is this. I want to kill it before it kills you. That's what I want to do. And so I just have a strong hunch there, is, there are some of you in this room you are standing at the precipice of the event horizon. You feel the weight in the pole, and you're about to take that step from which you cannot get back. And my just plea for you is to remember the word of God. Put off the old self. Do not walk as the Gentiles do. Be who you are. Walk in the newness of life. You have the Holy Spirit. Do not give in. And if you need help, call us. We will throw our arms around you and we will drag you away from the event horizon as fast as we possibly can because there's too much at stake. I don't know about you. I don't want to have a worthless, futile, darkened, ignorant mind before God. I want to be useful out there. I want to be unified in here. And I want to be holy in my heart. Let's pray together. Father, just come before you with full acknowledgement that we are sinners and sin's gravitational pull is strong and it is ugly and it is scary. Lord, even sometimes it appears beautiful at first, but its way is always death. God, I know there are some in this room who are indeed on the event horizon. They are just teetering over the edge and uh, Lord, there's still time for them to be pulled back. Lord, there are probably even some Christians in this room who are maybe even in the middle of it but before this gets even too bad, they can pull out now. God, I don't know the scenarios. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only your Holy Spirit can do. Would you intervene?
Lord, sometimes it feels like we don't have the strength to obey. Would you just obey for us and yank us out? God, as we come to the cross, as we come to communion, as we remember, I thank you for what the cross means. That on the cross, you disarmed sin, Satan, and death. And we now have authority. And we can now tell sin no. God, I pray that as we draw our hearts and our minds back to the cross, you would fill us with gratitude and awe, and you would remind us of the power we have that is your power in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.